1: What is this? A face? What
2: is this? A book? Oh my God. Facebook. <gasps>
0: Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture, brought to you by Rolling Stone.
2: Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos, and I'm E.J. Dixon.
0: So the last week has been pretty rough for I think a lot of people online, and you probably saw the news that our worst fears are likely coming true very soon. Roe v. Wade, a historic decision that protected a woman's right to choose, may be struck down. A leaked draft vote showed that the majority of the court would vote to overturn this rule. If officially voted upon, abortion could become outlawed in at least 26 states. EJ and I are pissed off about this and could go on and on about how bad we're feeling, but instead we are going to encourage you all to do something that could help save lives. If you listen to this podcast and enjoy us, please consider making a donation to an abortion fund, which are on-the-ground grassroots organizations in different states offering direct resources to those in need. We will link out to an article on abortion funds to donate to in the podcast description, but the most hostile states right now are Mississippi, Texas, West Virginia, Kentucky, Missouri, Arkansas, South Dakota, Louisiana, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Idaho, Utah, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Michigan, Arizona, Wyoming, Tennessee, South Carolina, Iowa, Florida and Montana, which is a lot of states where women are now facing a very tough future. So every woman has the right to choose what's best for their body. Fuck the Supreme Court. All my bitches hate the Supreme Court.
2: (laughs) So yeah, this week has been terrible. And honestly, it was kind of hard for us thinking about topics that we could talk about this week just because we want to stick to things that are relatively lighthearted. We want to make you guys laugh. We want to introduce things to you guys that you don't necessarily already know. But there's not a lot to say. This week is just sucked. And we kind of just (laughs) wanted to talk about it a little bit. So in that vein, like in the wake of Politico leaking the draft of the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, a number of celebrities have come out to speak out against it. Harry Styles posted about it on Instagram stories. Phoebe Bridgers said on Instagram she had an abortion while on tour, which was really brave of her. And Olivia Rodrigo told audiences in D.C. on her tour, our body should never be in the hands of politicians. Kat Dennings had, I think, the best Comment. She tweeted, "They did it on Met Gala night, thinking we would be too distracted by Sebastian Stan's pink suit to notice." Well, we noticed, motherfuckers. You know who didn't notice, though? All these celebrities noticed, but you know who didn't notice? Influencers. Have you seen any influencers comment on this, Brittany? Absolutely
0: not. It's fascinating because it was so rare to see pop stars talk about this before. Like, it is like really, I mean, it's amazing to kind of see that a lot of pop stars who would stay silent on on politics for many years to that, yep be really straight up with it, like Olivia Rodrigo coming from Disney and like being sort of like very encouraging to her fans and about just how pissed off she is. Like Carrie Styles was very famously like apolitical for many years. Like I think it's amazing that we're seeing that in that space. But yeah, influencers, nothing.
2: I think influencers are the new pop stars. I think that's what's really going on here in terms of the social cachet that they have. And also, I mean, we talked about this in the past with Ukraine, with the invasion of Ukraine, and I was just re-listening to that episode and I couldn't stop laughing about The weekend tweeting let's go motherfuckers (laughs) (laughs) the second that the story dropped that was so iconic
0: (laughs) i don't think i've ever laughed harder at a screenshot than like than him seeing let's go motherfuckers and then the news and then him apologizing like an hour later like that is just like the most insane thing
2: it was incredible I mean we talked about this like celebrities kind of have to walk a fine line where they have to be palatable to their audience but they also feel pressured to speak out their audience will be like why are you not talking about this and I think that celebrities are really scared of for the of walking that line and have been historically but there's it's definitely more socially okay now to sort of speak out about your personal views and the things that matter to you which is why it was kind of weird to me that none of the top TikTokers right now have made any public statements whatsoever about Roe v. Wade being potentially overturned. It seems like it would be relevant as this decision will obviously affect millions and millions of people who can get pregnant. And it was basically the biggest story of the week. But the top influencers have basically been silent and they're instead posting Met Gala pics or hair spawn bon con So we decided to do something a little different today. We reached out to the top 15 highest paid influencers on Instagram, as well as the high Paid TikTok creators as calculated by Forbes earlier this year. So a little more than 20 people. This was not super scientifically calculated <laughs> on our part. Like some of this was just like, oh, this person should be on that li- this list, even though they're not. Let's reach out to them. But these are people like Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Ray, Bella Porch, people we've talked about on here before who get more than $100,000 a post usually. And we also added some people beneath that threshold, like the model Lauren Gray, PewDiePie, the Paul Brothers. And to be fair, these people are often not. political it's not a part of their brand like I can't remember the last time Logan Paul spoke out about anything that wasn't in service of Logan Paul right but neither are Kat Dennings neither is Harry Styles as you said before like Mm -hmm. Harry has been apolitical for a very long time but they feel moved to speak out against this so we wanted to know why influencers didn't feel similarly compelled or at least not to do so publicly on their own social channels. And here's what happened. Of the more than 20 people we reached out to on Instagram, through their press reps, et cetera, we heard back from one person, and that is the PR for Brett Manrock. Brittany, can you explain who Brett Manrock is for those who may not know?
0: He kind of started as a makeup artist. Now he's become kind of a fitness influencer. I've noticed a pivot in a lot of his content, but makeup is the kind of the root of a lot of his viral fame.
2: Yeah. Isn't he best friends with Bella? They're cousins, actually. They're cousins. Like distant
0: cousins. But yeah, like they're cousins. So they sort of team up a lot on stuff and tend to do like a lot of content together.
2: So his PR rep said, well, first his PR rep asked if this was going to be for the uh, creator's issue, which is an issue that already came out. So I said no. And then after I said no, he said we'll need to politely pass at this time due to him being unavailable on set for his MTV show and not doing any press at the moment. That was the only comment that we got. I mean, are we surprised? No, but disappointed. You can still be not you can be unsurprised and still disappointed.
0: Yeah, I think what's fascinating to me, right, is like the reason why so many pop stars have started to speak out more is because their fans have demanded it like and it's not millennial fans demanding it so much it's been a lot of gen Z fans like the biggest and loudest people pushing for artists like like Harry Styles and Taylor Swift to be outspoken about their political views and their values are the youngest fans in their corner who like really want to see their politics and their views reflected by these artists because they've grown up in a particularly terrible time to be alive mm-hmm. and so they want to know that they have people in their corner who have have bigger influence than them fighting for them and fighting for them to be seen and to be heard and to kind of have this type of support. And so, I mean, it's just fascinating that the biggest influencers are members like Gen Z. And It's just like kind of that schism of, I think a lot of people are always like, Gen Z will save us. And it's like, I don't know, it's still the same as any other generation where there's a lot of people who profit off of the marginalization and people who want to see that destroyed.
2: It is fascinating, right? Like I remember we were talking about this with Taylor a couple episodes ago when we had Taylor Lorenz on the show and also, I was thinking about this today in doing some more reporting on the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and just how much Gen Z has mobilized and absolutely shitting on Amber Heard. Like, this is a generation that is known for social justice and for taking on the cause of marginalized people. But at the end of the day, its most prominent faces aren't doing that at all. They're just staying completely silent. And it kind of makes you wonder, well, let's set the rumors about Addison Rae's political affiliation aside. There are rumors that Addison Rae was a Trump supporter, basically, is the is the context she did a video where somebody thought they saw a MAGA flag in her room and she there was a very famous viral video about a year ago where she appeared to warmly greet former President Donald Trump at an event. So it's not like super compelling evidence, but like, let's set that aside for a moment. These people don't really like somebody like Addison Rae, somebody like Charlie D'Amelio, in my mind, doesn't really have anything to lose by coming out in favor of abortion rights. Like they are big enough and they have enough money behind them that they don't really have anything to lose, which makes me think that maybe these people don't support a woman's right to choose to begin with.
0: I think it's also lack of information, a lack of desire to have information. Like, obviously, that does end up leading to the fact that they maybe just don't support it. But also, like, I don't know, I think people just, like, are, they choose to be ignorant on a lot of these issues and depends on where you come from and kind of how you're raised. But I think, to use the pop stars as an example, like, when you are kind of thrust into this, I don't want to be too, like, much of, like, an apology just for this but i think there's when you are 15 and really famous your life and your understanding of how life works is only privileged and it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that there if people get abortions for reasons that are not just like i don't want a child like there's people who understand that like they don't understand there's a bigger conversation to be had about like people who have high-risk pregnancies or people who have medical issues where their life is at risk like it's just like things like that they don't understand why people choose to have an abortion and why this right to choose is so clearly important and needed and so I think that I don't know I think their perspective is skewed because that's just how fame and excessive money works and when you're 15 that's the only life you know where it starts at 15 and then you're 20, 21, and that's all you've known, you have no reason to do the research. You have no reason to want to learn anything else because it won't affect you. I think all of these people are prime examples of that.
2: Do you think so, though? Like, do you think when you were 16 and this happened, and you saw that they had said nothing about it. Would that have even like come on your radar? When I was 16, I was in Catholic school. I was going to say you were in a Catholic <laughs> school and you were you were at pro-life marches. I realized that right after I asked you. I mean, you this is again, saying. like, I mean,
0: I just like coming from my own personal learning experience. Like I was taught one thing for so long in school and I didn't really learn any other viewpoints until I went to college. Like it took me being like 18 and being in classrooms with people who didn't grow up in Catholic school where my like sex education wasn't coming from none. And, like, where every single way I was taught how to read any sort of book was, like, this is an allegory for Jesus. Like, when you go to like, college and you learn, like, more secular understandings of how the world works, that's sort of where my own political understanding was formed and, like, where I was, like, going to rallies and going to fundraisers for Planned Parenthood and learning what feminism was and understanding just everything about how the world functions. And so that education was something I had to seek out. Like I had to unlearn literally 14 years of education, 14 years of like how everyone in my life came to understand the world and how it was and had very similar political views. So, you know, that was something I had to make a choice. Like I had to make a choice of like, um, Do I care? Like, am I moved enough to learn about these things? And I was a lot of stuff I had to unlearn, and you have to make those choices.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say my experience was actually not that dissimilar from yours. I grew up in a much more progressive, politically progressive environment. Like, I grew up in New York and I went to a fairly politically liberal school. But I mean, I was not pro choice until I was maybe 19 years old. Like, I had a parent who wasn't pro choice, and basically, instilled that belief as a result and didn't really question it until i went to college and started reading jezebel honestly it wasn't even like going to college it was it was reading jezebel that like made me be like oh this is a really stupid opinion i
0: have mine was like listening to a bikini kill like i was literally like i was such a music obsessive i got really into riot girl and like i you know started to kind of like stalk kathleen Hanna because she would do different events around new york and so that's how i was brought to like a planned parenthood rally in march because like kathleen Hanna was speaking at it and and so it's like stuff like that, you know, you have to want to unlearn those things. And I think for people like these influencers, like they don't want to unlearn it because they don't have to.
2: I think their audiences are so young, too, that they're not. I think you're absolutely right. Like what you were saying before about how you really can only come to a nuanced understanding Of these issues with age and with experience and with the confluence of all these different factors, like the nine year olds who fucking stitch Charlie D'Amelio's dances on TikTok aren't doing that. Regardless of how quote unquote woke this generation is, like they don't
0: give a shit. One of the funniest things when I was teaching at NYU earlier this semester was like, we had a whole lesson for the Taylor Swift class about feminism and about the concept of feminism and how people talked about feminism prior to 2013. And I was in college, started college 2010. There were people in my classes at NYU in New York City, NYU being a very liberal school. Like the understanding of NYU is like it's very super, super liberal, super progressive. New York City, of course, seen as super liberal, super progressive. And there are people in all of my classes that refused to call themselves feminists. Like, they refused to call, like, they refused to take on that word. But I mean, it was 2010. Like, that's exactly how the culture worked was that feminism is still a dirty word then. Even in our recent history, that is even just... 12 years ago, a decade ago, people didn't even claim a word like feminism because it was seen as super extreme and like very much like women having hairy armpits and like smelling weird or something, whatever. I don't know even what the stereotypes were of feminism at that point. But like that's super recent. So like that's important to remember, too, is that we are just as a culture... Getting used to people even having any sort of political view that isn't famous people having political views that were once seen as as that extreme so recently.
2: Yeah, I mean you're right, but anyway, like we await the Paul brothers and David Dobrik's insights on this issue with bated breath. So please, please, we'd love to hear what you think.
0: <laughs> I'm sure the davilio sisters are listening to the podcast right now. Please tell us your viewpoints on abortion.
2: Well, segueing into somebody who I think could do a great job educating the youth about abortion (laughs) rights.
0: (laughs) So Jack Harlow was our first ever himbo. I cannot stress enough how much of an influence we've had on his career when we named him (laughs) himbo of the week in the very first episode of this podcast. So it pleases me greatly to discuss him in a different segment this week.
2: Straight people. You were prescient, Brittany. You were incredibly prescient. You called it. I,
0: Head of the curve on a lot of artists okay like I am not to toot my own horn but there's a lot of artists who are very popular now who I was their first interview just like really supported them I wrote an article about driver's license the day it came out so you know what everyone needs to get their shit together and understand that I am an influencer and I am pro-choice
2: you know what else though like even beyond your prodigious like professional accomplishments which are incredibly impressive it's a long list you're an American Girl doll cafe influencer a sensitive subject EJ as you <laughs> No. <laughs> More so than abortion. More
0: <laughs> than- <laughs> Listen, when someone brings up the American Girl Doll Cafe, I just get real heated. OK, so I went to the American Girl Doll Cafe for brunch several times in the year 2015. And I made it a part of my aesthetic then because it was nice to go to brunch there. You can just go to brunch there. They'll give you a doll like you can rent a doll to eat have brunch with you and your girls and like have a nice time they give you little pastries you can go for tea they can go walk around like it's like what doll did you rent I think it was just like one of the random ones like one of oh you couldn't rent
2: like the high-end ones you couldn't rent Samantha it was a busy brunch
0: okay like it's a pop-in brunch like there's a lot of people so I brought my sister once who is a child and she's 20 years younger than me so that year She was, like, literally two, I think. Three. She was three. And then I went with a bunch of my friends in New York, and we had a great time. And all of a sudden... I I just think it's funny that there's a whole New York Times trend piece about people going to the American Girl Cafe, and it's a whole aesthetic on TikTok, and Olivia Rodrigo in there. It's a little weird. I'm offended on your behalf, honestly. So it'll be a great sight for me and Jack Harlow on our first date when that eventually happens. But anyway, okay. So Jack's album, his debut album, came out on Friday. Come Home, The Kids Miss You is the name of it. It's fine. EJ, I really doubt you listened to it, but I'm going to ask, did you listen to it? No. Okay. I don't know. Like Maybe Saul is secretly a fan.
2: <laughs> I'm a mother.
0: No. No, we're not fucking
2: listening to Jack Harlow.
0: MILFs listen to Jack Harlow. It's perfectly fine. It's not like the best album in the world. It's not the worst album. It's a little bit boring. It mostly reminded me that I didn't care about or for his music until my crush on him became a personal prison. Like I was not, I could not name you a Jack Harlow song until First Class came out. Which was cute. Like that was a moment. Fergie, who doesn't love Fergie? Who doesn't love glamorous? I still also rather listen to Glamorous. But the one song that sparked a lot of conversation and was sort of already, it was causing a little bit of an internet frenzy before the album came out because he released the track list before was the very forwardly titled Dua Lipa. And it's a song about Dua Lipa. And it's about how much he would rather bone her than have a feature on one of her songs. So what's up? Dua Lipa. I'm trying to do more with her than do a feature. I checked the web day out her chewing me up. I think abolish all prisons except for the horny jail where Mr. Jack Harlow... Belongs. He just, horny jail immediately, cuff him, officers, because that is insane. And I just like, I find songs like that generally not super charming. But I will say that Jack did get permission from Dua herself, and he repeated the star's kind of tepid response, which is very funny, where she was just like, I guess. He told it in an interview with The Breakfast Club where he recited this.
2: Now has Dua Lipa responded to you having a song named after her on the album?
0: Not publicly.
2: Oh, but privately she has.
1: Well, you know, I, I I wanted to get her blessing. Mm-hmm. I, so I FaceTimed her and played it for her because I didn't want her to be blindsided about it or feel like, you know, creeped out or anything. I want her to... If she had said, yo, I hate it, I don't want it to come out, it wouldn't have came out. Mm-hmm. But she was like, oh, I mean, it's not my song. I suppose it's okay. She was just kind of thrown off. Mm-hmm. And she just let it go, so... Is that, it. F- is that a woman you fancy? Is that why you made the record? I admire her. you her? Okay. her? <laughs> <Yeah>. Fancy. <laughs> it's about her yeah
0: oh i do find it kind of wacky that she hasn't said
2: anything publicly she hasn't done anything with the song well what's she gonna say this guy wants to fuck me yeah like, what else is she gonna say that's the I only mean, i don't know she can that's, say. Well,
0: that's why the song is weird too but like that makes it even weirder that she hasn't even like joked about it online which makes me feel like maybe she was less excited about it but do you i think I don't know.
2: she's funny do you think the is funny like I think Dula Peep is probably a nice time. Yeah, but is she funny? She ever, like, made a quip that has made people at the table, like, laugh uproariously or... No. No, she's not funny. She's never
0: told a joke. She can't make a joke, but I feel like she'd be r- really receptive to someone's joke. Like, she would laugh politely to a joke instead of being, like, boring about it. Like, I feel like she'd have a good sense of humor about most stuff.
2: But in this case, like, the joke, like, the joke he's telling is not that funny. So the reaction, like, what is she going to say? Ha <laughs> ha he wants to fuck me. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I think it'd be different if it were like Drake wrote a song about someone. Like I feel like, I don't know, if Drake wrote a song called at Lipa, it'd probably be better as a song. And also I feel like, I don't know, I feel like there's like difference because Jack is so still not that famous for even his rapping. Like he's just like really, he's just like really hot. Like he's like a public figure who's just like people love. He's a beloved figure. He's almost there, but I feel like if this is like a second album, maybe she'd be more excited. But I don't know. I think the the funny thing is that the trending use of her name in a sound on TikTok is people doing a a Alipa over puddles then launching into her famous go girl give us nothing hip hopping dance, which makes it a little bit better. I don't want to go over that
2: puddle. Just do a Alipa can i tell you something so you know how you have white face blindness
0: i absolutely do
2: so i think i got that from you because it i it is
0: it is um contagious
2: it is it is notoriously contagious and i contracted i tested positive for white face blindness despite being white because i cannot tell the difference at all between angus cloud jack Harlow, and the next person who we're going to talk about
0: i think that's fair and also you know who else now looks like jack Harlow? Joshua Bassett, Olivia Rodrigo's ex-boyfriend who inspired that whole album.
2: Oh my god, this is causing such an extra layer of complication for me. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's a lot. So in other white boy summer news, Chet Hanks. Remember him? Do you think about Chet Hanks often? Because I do.
2: I do. I think about him probably twice a week if I had to estimate.
0: Yeah, that's a... Reasonable amount. It just never ceases to amaze me how regularly Tom Hanks' most troubling child finds himself in a whirlwind of public interest every so often. First, there was his rap career, Chet Hayes, that he kicked off while attending bougie Chicago College Northwestern. In the interim, he stabbled in some acting, famously appearing in the Bratz movie, and had a recurring role in Empire, a show that Too many people watched, and then everyone forgot about immediately. And in recent years, his fleeting bursts of fame have been largely strange. So for starters, the patois. The man loves to burst into a patois. Infamously, he burst into the accent on the Golden Globes red carpet the same night his dad took home a Lifetime Achievement Award, which is just a weird energy to bring to that type of event and a reason why Tom Hanks should not bring Chet to things. And yet he does, because he's probably a nice father and wants to support his weird son.
2: the whole island massive it's your boy Chet, and, uh, coming straight from the golden so in March 2020
0: he was the one to announce that his parents had contracted the novel coronavirus which was a big deal because like Chet Hanks delivering news delivering very like serious news that his parents were sick was a lot to handle at that time. And it led to hysteria over what would happen to Tom. And later that year, he left social media for a little bit because of all the QAnon conspiracy theorists targeting his family. And then later he turned out to be anti-vax. It's just a lot of weird things sort of bring him into public prominence. The biggest one was last year when there was the white boy summer frenzy, which I don't know, that honestly was like one of the most insane periods of time. He made it a point in 2021 to claim that he was feeling it was a white boy summer. Then he sold merch that just said white boy summer all over it. And I will say me and many other black women in my life fell into the charm of the moment. We thought it was hilarious. And we were freshly vaccinated. We were ready for the streets. We were highly vulnerable to falling for the cash grab from Chet. Many of us, we had white boy summer merch. March in our carts. I'm not proud of it. I considered you it. You had
2: white boy summer. You know who else had white boy summer march in their carts? Actual neo-Nazis that summer. Okay. Thank you, EJ. <laughs> that was co so by
0: neo-Nazis. Thank you for making me feel so much better about that. <laughs> I appreciate it, EJ.
2: <laughs> I'm just here to provide reality checks for horniness. That's what I do.
0: <laughs> Listen, my reality check was that that quickly came tumbling down when news of a legal battle against his ex, Kiana Parker, who was a black woman, had filed a protective order against Chet, alleging physical and verbal abuse. So that completely shut down White Boy Summer immediately. And Chet has denied these claims and filed his own lawsuit against Parker, alleging theft and assault. It's super messy. And I mean, I think also it was a lot of it was a big reality check for everyone that was like okay we can't entertain this any further which is something we all probably should have said but again it was it was summer 2021 the world had just reopened briefly everything felt too exciting but it's been a quiet largely chat free year since he mostly just posts like fitness stuff and i know i think it's an important lesson the public is never too free of Chet's nepotism grifter hustle. First, there's the absolutely fascinating TikTok account that he started with his new girlfriend named Melissa called Chet Melissa. I cannot begin to stress how strange it is. They do 90 day fiance cosplay and extremely gross couples trends, like a passing out prank that I watch that ends in him exposing her ass. And then that's just it. I don't, I don't really understand it. I also just like hate couples TikToks generally. I think they're all gross. And then there's his cameo in the acclaimed series Atlanta. Most of the episodes in the season of Atlanta are not centered on the actual cast of Atlanta. A lot of the episodes are bottle episodes on whiteness and white privilege. So in one of the episodes, a white family's Trinidadian nanny dies, and their young son was very close with the nanny and had begun to absorb the parts of her culture that she was teaching him. So the parents decide to attend the funeral as a family. And at the funeral, they meet one other white person, a former child from Tribeca that the nanny used to take care of, played by Chet Hanks, who speaks exclusively in Patois, in his scene. Which is like a good callback to all of that that we had to experience from Chet a couple years prior. Honestly, like a pretty good casting for the cameo. So, um, you
1: grow up in Trinidad? Or Jamaica? It's Trinidad and Tobago. And no. I'm from Tribeca.
0: But anyway, so the Peace de resistance in the sudden Chet resurgence. Well, it's someone finally holding him accountable on Z-Way's Showtime talk show, which returned for season two earlier this month. Chet is interviewed in the second episode. And if you have not watched any of Z-Way's interviews, she's very famous for making her mostly white subjects uncomfortable. But she tends to ask the subjects questions like how many black friends do you have? Which is a question that is a trap and people should learn that. I don't know why, why people have not learned that this is a trap question. She was rightfully tough on Chet, but the man is a king of deflection. So she asked him about, the Patois, if he felt like he was offending anyone. He said that he was not. She asked him just about if he was scared of black women. He said he was not, but he should be.
1: <laughs> are there any marginalized communities you want to apologize to? I don't know, maybe the Patois community? Uh, I don't feel like I've truly done anything offensive, so. Trying to make me nervous? <laughs> no. Are you nervous? <laughs> no, but you just say that because I try to make Do I make you nervous? Mm, no. Are you afraid of black women? No.
2: Maybe you should be. Mm, maybe.
0: And he is an absolute idiot and not hot way which is a lot coming from us because we love hot idiots like it's our bread and butter we have a whole segment dedicated to hot idiots we love them but maybe a more fitting Atlanta quote for him would have been the one-liner last week's Liam Neeson cameo ended with which again this season has been insane it's wild that Liam Neeson was there hold on hold on, hold on. Wait but then you learn that you shouldn't say shit like that right. but I also learned that the best and worst part about being white is
1: on your happy
0: price, Priceline.
2: Speaking of hot idiots, one of my favorite topics of all time is when influencers get sucked down the rabbit hole. And that's exactly what appears to have happened to one of the OG makeup vloggers this week. Have you heard of Michelle Fan, Brittany, does that name ring a bell?
0: I had not actually until I read your story. But yeah, I had not heard of Michelle Fan before. Well,
2: oh, you never did like a tutorial in middle school, like a cat eye tutorial?
0: I only got into like makeup. YouTube in maybe the last two years? Yeah, two or so three years? Yeah, you would have missed
2: her. You would have missed her then because she was very, very early. She was like a beloved YouTuber. She got her start in the early days of YouTube. She started posting in 2007. If you looked up beauty tutorials in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, you probably saw one of hers. She was massively popular and she co-founded the subscription brand Ipsy. If you Do you remember that, Brittany? They sent you like little thingies of mascara. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like shitty little things every, every week or so. Yeah, it was great. She's a co-founder. She was one of the first YouTubers to like really branch out and be something beyond just being a YouTuber and to show like the potential that this platform had. But in 2015, she took a hiatus for a few years. She went off the map for a while. When she came back, she said she was burnt out, which is a very common story for creators. But in 2019, she made a comeback. She's still creating content, but she recently posted some Instagram stories that were very concerning to her audience. So, Last week she writes in her stories, I can't even begin to articulate how incredibly life changing today was. I'm still processing all the miracles I witnessed and the miracle I became today. What do you think that miracle was that she became today? I know what it is. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You read your story. (laughs) I like how you ask it like I I don't read all of your stuff.
2: Thought it would be like a fun little guessing game. I've read it. Well, thank you for reading it.
0: (laughs) I'll stop reading your stories before the podcast so I can be rightfully surprised when you ask me a question like that.
2: Okay, but what you should really do, and I will do this with your stories, we should get in the habit of doing this with each other, is just like clicking on the story and then scrolling up and down for a while aimlessly to boost engagement time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually trying to get no people to read my stories ever. Oh, really? That's your goal? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start writing about really niche like fan theories that only two people are tweeting about.
2: Oh my God. But you know, that would get so much. Yeah, I would do
0: actually, that would actually do really well. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to do.
2: Leah Michelle can't read like easily 100,000 views. But (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, Michelle fan, she went on to say that she saw angels. She healed a man who had been in a wheelchair for years. Specifically, she wrote, he's not only walking now, but dancing with joy. And What happened, what was revealed was, because she did some follow-up Instagram posts, she was at a retreat hosted by a guy named Dr. Joe Dispenza. Now, I had never heard of this guy, so I looked him up. He says he is a neuroscience expert. On Instagram, he's got hundreds of thousands of followers, but he is not. He is actually a chiropractor who was accredited from a school in Georgia that lost its accreditation in 2002 for subpar teachings. And he's a huge influencer in the wellness space. He's amassed this following by essentially preaching the power of positive thought to cure illness. He's claimed he can cure paralysis, infertility. I spoke with Derek Barris, who co-hosts this podcast that's awesome called Con Spirituality, who said he talk to a widow of a man with terminal cancer who briefly stopped his chemo because he wanted to do this guy's meditations instead. So he thankfully ended up going back to the chemo, but he did end up passing away eventually. But many people were very weirded out by these posts. They said, oh, Michelle is in a cult. I want to be clear. There's no evidence that Dr. Dispenza is a cult leader or that Michelle has joined a cult. I think that there is ample evidence to suggest that she has fallen down a rabbit hole of misinformation, much like a lot of influencers over the past couple years, like since the start of the pandemic. Because when I started digging into her social media posts, like the most glaring thing that I found was this post in February 2020 at the very start of the COVID-19 pandemic, where she posted a photo of her essential oil burner on Instagram, basically saying that you could kill viruses by burning essential oils. And when none other than Dr. Pimple Popper, aka Dr. Sandra Lee, pointed out that this was incorrect, she was like, hey, essential oils can't prevent the transmission of viruses. And Michelle seemed to apologize but then she appeared to double down in later posts. She said, I used to be a skeptic until my limited options led me to giving alternative medicine a try. In the name of science, we should always question everything in pursuit of truth, even if it goes against what you know and believe. So if you want to use essential oils, use crystals, do sound baths, do you. And when you go even further back in her career, like she does have a history of spreading misinformation. It's just the kind of misinformation that people didn't really raise their eyebrows at. They may have been like, oh, this is a little weird. Like she once made a video where she was like, you should use kitty litter as a facial scrub but which is like weird and gross unused to be fair but still gross and it's like weird and gross and wrong but like nobody was really calling that out for what it was which is misinformation so she's got a history of this she's also a bitcoin shill like that's been her big thing through which i'm automatically suspicious of anybody who like pivots from doing one thing to hawking cryptocurrency like within seconds like that seems to be and i talked to some in the industry who was like, that's a pretty clear sign that somebody's career is failing, like as a creator, if they're just turning to shill Bitcoin. So I think this is representative of like a fairly common trajectory for influencers, unfortunately over the past few years. I've written a lot about this, like ever since the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been a lot of people who have been radicalized, who have started posting about things that they otherwise would not have posted about and saw that they gained a lot of followers as a result and a lot of engagement and just kind of kept doing it and posted more and more extreme content. I don't know if you've witnessed that in your personal life, Brittany. I have a lot of theories about this, all of them
0: unfounded much like all of these, (laughs) but I do have a lot of theories on this. Like one, I think cults are coming back in a big way. Cults are about to be really hot. I think soon, I think people are like more susceptible than ever to kind of falling for this. And I think it's going to be surprising ways that people have joined cults, like not in the traditional sense of like what a cult is, because I feel like people have really gravitated to online communities. I think sort of a version of like spirituality and also like a really skewed version of like what like witchcraft is or like what they think like astrology is supposed to be. Like I think people have completely skewed and morphed all of that into almost semi-religious beliefs. And are using that as an excuse for a lot of things, and so I think this is like a bigger issue that I'm seeing. Like, where I'm like really into astrology and witchcraft and stuff like that in a more sort of like casual sense, and so I get a lot of videos like those, and it's fascinating because I get a lot of people who have to like correct people from doing like really intense sort of rituals and things like that constantly because that's just like the way these things are spreading. Where it's the idea that you can like change things with your mind in a way that that's like not really what any of that's about. I don't know. I think think, like, we're going to see an uptick in a lot of those things. And again, like, I think cults are about to be really hot right now in a way that is not your traditional
2: cult. Yeah, I absolutely I agree. And I think the scariest part of this is not so much that somebody could get into like spiritual healing and crystal water and sound baths, because that stuff is fairly innocuous in itself, in itself. When you have somebody who's making money off of saying these things can cure diseases, that's dangerous. The real problem is, and they've done studies on this, that if you believe one type of misinformation, that makes you infinitely more more likely to believe other types of misinformation. And I guess I'll talk about this. I have a friend, a very good friend who I went to college with, who I have noticed posting anti-vax content since the start of the pandemic. And we've, you know, had conversations about it, which have been, you know, respectful, but tense. But, you know, I love him dearly. And I was like, okay, like, fine. You you have this belief, it's fine, whatever. There's nothing I can do to change it. But lately, what I've been noticing is that he's started posting, you know, borderline anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And yesterday I saw that he had liked a video by this guy JP Sears, who's a really big conservative influencer who made a transphobic video, like basically perpetuating the idea that like kindergarten teachers who talk about pronouns are grooming children. Right. And he liked this video. And it's really stunning to like watch in real time this happen to somebody that you care about. I think it's an experience that a lot of people are having right now. And Just seeing like how quickly things can go from, oh, you know, you believe that you see angels, you believe that like crystal water can heal your like diarrhea to, oh, you believe that kindergarten teachers who teach about using pronouns are like grooming children for sexual abuse and satanic rituals. Like it's really crazy how fast that process can go.
0: Well, I think people just like are, I think the thing is that the conversation for the last like four or five years has been about extremism in America. And of course, it's focused largely on political extremism and on like the rights extremism and how that's kind of morphed. But I mean, a lot of people, a lot of the beliefs, especially with like Q and a lot of very political extremism kind of morph into like medical extremism. And like it's just like a weird sort of ways that people are starting to understand the world only comes from an extremist fashion. And again, it's because we're consuming information in a completely unfiltered way where nothing is like streamlined or nuanced. Like maybe you'll come across someone correcting that misinformation, but is it going to be too late? Is Are you already going to believe and have like a staunch understanding of what the information that you've already consumed is? And that's true and that it can't be argued against. Like I just, I don't know, I see so much of that now with things that like, do seem innocuous, like crystals and sound baths and all of that. But I don't know. I think that it's going to be weaponized in a lot of ways in the coming years.
2: Absolutely. And if you have people who have influence, like Michelle Fan, like Michelle Fan is not the most powerful influencer there is right now but she doesn't have a small following like these are people who care about her opinions who consider her an authority who hang on to her every word i think that's where it's going to get really dangerous yeah i think people just want to be told everything's going to be okay
0: like that's really where we're at right now right Is like we've come out of like a horrendous few years and i mean it's still it's still horrendous like i think people just want to be told that things are going to be okay which is how they sort of get sucked into these more extreme facets and corners of this type of internet or type of belief system where it goes beyond what even any of that's about like a lot of this is not meant to perform miracles so welcome to himbo of the week where we tackle the big issues who is the hottest person online this week so this week's himbo is nick tobler also known as at cow turtle on tiktok in march nick moved into a new house and he pointed out something that very few people have ever considered when moving into a new place his basement would be perfect for an eel pond
1: (laughs) so here it is Bigger than I had originally thought, even. That's at least, probably 24 feet that way. Probably at least 15 feet that way. That water's actually really clear. And I'm thinking it will be an eel pond with a cinder block boardwalk eventually.
0: Over the last month and a half, he's done exactly that, transforming the rainwater cistern in his home into an oasis for eels. He set up air pumps, a cinder block boardwalk for him to walk on, and already filled the pond with some other small sea creatures like goldfish and catfish. So people are fascinated by Nick's eel pond and thirsting after Nick himself, calling him eel daddy in the comments of the first video where he did a face reveal. So we decided to hit up Nick and talk to him about his eel dreams. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? check planning for what's next and how to save
1: for it. That's where bank of America can help for your financial to do's bank of America has
0: experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bank slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. And to start off, can you tell us a little bit about your day job and your work with Aquatic Life?
1: Yeah. So I've worked my entire life in pet stores. I started at PetSmart, then uh went to another local shop for four years, and then uh after that, I got offered this spot, basically running my own saltwater aquarium shop.
0: Yeah. What got you into working with Fish and with Sea Life?
1: Oh, I've just always been doing it. I don't know, watching Steve Irwin at some point, probably. <laughs> that and then like Pokemon and Animal Crossing. And then when I wasn't playing that, I'd be uh, out in the woods chasing stuff, catching stuff. So I've just always been doing it. So
2: tell us the origin story of the eel pond. Has this been a long time dream of yours?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> I've always like the idea of, like turning a room of my house into an animal enclosure has always been there. But this happened to be perfect that it's a totally waterproof. I mean, I can just eventually like right now, it's a cave down the road. I might turn it into a swamp. I mean, it's got endless possibilities for me. And I've always like had the thought of doing something like that. My basement right now is a animal room.
0: (laughs) Why eels specifically? And what were some of the other animals that you thought about? potentially have the enclosures for.
1: At first, when I first saw the space, like it was just about a week before we moved into this house. It's just a manhole in the corner. So uh, I looked down there and it's like, this is a massive empty tank of, it's. it already had standing water in it. So my first thought went to cave fish. There's a, a pretty actually common cave fish species in the aquarium trade, uh, Mexican blind tetra. What is that? They're just a small, probably two, three inch uh, pink fish, like any white, solid white cave fish that you can imagine. They're actually decently common, but they're actually illegal in my state. Oh wow! There's some really cool native cave fish, but I wasn't able to get a hold of any of those. But then I've always wanted eels. I've always actually had in my mind to get an American eel, but they're actually really rare in the aquarium trade. Yeah, Um, You can actually get others, like there's a couple other eel species that are way more common, but American eels are actually really hard to get a hold of. Yeah. But yeah, they're going to be the perfect fish for that just because it's cold, dark water. I do have a light down there, but it'll stay pretty dark down there Um, and they'll love the cooler water. They're coming out of a river in Maine, so... It's gonna be perfect for him. Mm-hmm.
0: People are kind of scared of the eel pond. Why do you think that is? Like a lot of the comments are so much. This feels like a horror movie.
1: Yeah, I get it. <laughs> like I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Uh, I'm not a violent or scary person. I don't think at all. But it is a dark hole. I'm looking across the my living room right now, and there's a two tarantulas over there. So I've got a uh, got different tastes for sure.
0: Just like loose or. Or in no, l- no, they're in a cage. Okay. Yeah, no,
1: they're on cages. But I've probably had that rose hair tarantula for the last 15 years. At one point, I had my walk-in closet at home was wall-to-wall of scorpions. So yeah, I've, I've had just about everything. And I don't know. I don't like... It's not that they're creepy. I just think they're really cool. Um, Like the scorpions, I like them to think of them as land lobsters. I get some people don't like them, but I think they're really cool.
0: I do love having both a, a scorpion closet and an eel basement.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I might bring back the scorpion closet.
2: <laughs> do you eat... Eels or do you have like too much of an affinity for them as a result of your work with them?
1: So also all fish, really. Um, I do really like seafood. Eels actually make really good sushi. Um, but also, so that's, there actually is a population decline in American eels. Um, and I think the European eel specifically is the one that's really crashing. It looks the exact same. It's just European versus American. They are two separate species, but they look identical. So they breed out in the ocean. The life life cycle of eels is crazy. They breed out in the ocean. Then they migrate upriver as like, they call them glass eels, where they're just like a maybe three, four inch, basically transparent worm. Um, then they actually collect them at that stage. They send them all to Asia. They farm raise them in Asia. And then they actually send them back to, uh, restaurants and uh, grocery stores to supply like the sushi trade and everything like that and it's actually is crashing global populations of eels which is why it's not great but like these ones are coming as adults like captive or well not captive but from the wild where it's not that but it's it's specifically that restaurants that are crashing the population when they gather them as the elvers is what they're called
0: we actually learned about the eel pond from a thirsty tweet that someone had written about you and when you revealed your face (laughs) for the faq it seemed like it garnered a lot of really thirsty comments so how has life changed now that you are eel daddy (laughs) yeah
1: that, that was uh that was pretty wild that one caught me off guard um, yeah, I'm getting a lot of comments like that. A lot of pretty girls DMing me. So that's pretty cool.
0: Are people doing like eel specific DM slides?
1: No, unfortunately. <laughs> There's a couple. There was one girl in Australia. She showed me some amazing uh, eels there that they have, but she's just been sending me all kinds of wildlife pictures from stuff there. She's in like Brisbane oh, wow! and has all kinds of like wildlife rescue so crazy stuff over there. You're
2: not getting any like sexy eel puns in your no. DMs. Oh, that I, seems I, like I a missed getting, opportunity.
1: Getting many. Yeah. <laughs> the, the comments were good. The comments are hilarious.
0: <laughs> What's the funniest comment that you've seen so far from people?
1: Oh, for sure. My favorite was, uh, the government fears the indoor eel farmer. <laughs> That's uh, that's number one. I'm turning that into a sticker.
0: <laughs> yeah, are you going to sell um, eel merch?
1: I think I have to. Yeah, I wasn't expect. I had I literally had 200 followers on TikTok before this, and I think I post way cooler stuff besides the eel pit. <laughs> I think I got to now.
2: We thought going into this that we knew a base level amount about eels. Although to be fair, most of my knowledge from eels is called from the Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. <laughs> and not beyond that. But like, what are eels actually like, and what are some misconceptions about eels that the public holds?
1: Well, let me first start off with electric eels. So there is actually, it just got broken up. I think it's two species now. There's only one electric eel in the world, and it's a freshwater eel. Oh, well, it's not even an eel. It's a knife fish from South America. That's probably my number one thing is I get a million comments of how, the, how I'm going to fall in and get electrocuted. Um, I've had an electric eel before. They're a really cool species, but yeah, they're just a big knife fish. They're not even a true eel. But like even at my store, I sell moray eels at the store and everybody always asks if they're electric. And no, that's a freshwater fish. But yeah, that's definitely number one. But then the other thing is like, it's just, we don't really know where they breed out in the ocean. It's the Sargasso Sea, but that's an area of thousands of miles. So it's never been really observed in the wild where they actually breed in the wild. And then they, like I said earlier, migrate back inland.
0: You've mentioned wanting to train your eels. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So I don't know if you saw the uh, clip of them, uh, that was in New Zealand, the long finials, uh, eating out of a spoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically what I want to do is like any fish, any animal really can, will eventually get like habituated to uh, like how feeding happens. So I plan on always feeding them in the same spot. And then, uh, so what should happen is when I open the manhole, they'll start hearing the noises of just the walls vibrating and everything. And then they'll come up to the surface and, uh, start waiting for food. Uh, but yeah, basically I want to just be able to hand feed them and, be able to pet them and stuff while I'm down there.
2: You ordered eels on Friday, but they were sold out. So who exactly is buying up all of these eels?
1: So it's not that they're buying. Well, so there's like a fishing season for them. Mm -hmm. Um, They're coming from a fisherman in Maine. And uh, he said they just got some heavy rain. So the river's like way too high to catch them right now, specifically but yeah he said he had one small one that he found in his traps but he's gonna wait for the water to go down then he said he should be able to get me some i'm trying to get the biggest ones i can find just i feel like i gotta impress the internet now that i got everybody's attention
2: (laughs) awesome well this was so educational thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you
1: yeah no problem at all
0: hold on you've been scrolling for way too long now maybe you should get some food get some water and then come back later
2: Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridges Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demecleo.